The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is a continuation of the series that Elder Buddy Abernathy has begun in the book of Revelation. We have learned from this series that the book of Revelation is not some mysterious book that we should avoid, but rather it's a book that should bring great encouragement to God's children, especially when they're under persecution. So stay with us as we hear a song selection followed by another message from Elder Buddy Abernathy from chapter one of the book of Revelation.
I want to continue tonight in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and we're on verse 15, but I want to begin reading in verse 10 so that we can connect all the thoughts together. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, we don't want to review too much, but I know there are a number of people here tonight that weren't here this morning. So let me just emphasize, first of all, in verse 10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. How important that is as we tried to uh, emphasize this morning that we labor to be in the Spirit, especially on the Lord's day. Now, as we go down in the verses that follow, notice in verse 12, after Jesus had said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. John says in verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, we'll learn later that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. And the thing I tried to emphasize this morning is when John heard the voice of Jesus, he turned and saw the candlesticks. And I believe one of the things we need to understand from that is that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The words of Jesus, the truth of Jesus has been preserved and perpetuated in the Lord's church. So John heard uh, the Lord's voice, he, heard, he turned to see the voice, and when he turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now this is where I really want to start placing emphasis tonight, because we only got through about three of the five things that describe the Son of Man. But before we continue looking at these descriptions of the Son of Man, I really want you to think about this. Notice in verse 13, John says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, 
one likened to the Son of God. Now, as we said, we'll see later that the candlesticks are the churches. Notice here, in the midst of the candlesticks, he says, in the midst of the candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. In other words, the church is the church because of the presence of Jesus. That's how we're different from any other religious organization. And even a church that has severely departed from the faith and perhaps the practice and the moral standards of the Bible will lose the manifest presence of the Lord. So keep that in mind. It says that the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, was in the midst of the seven candlesticks. We are totally dependent on the Lord's presence among us. Otherwise, preaching will just be a dry presentation. Our singing will be dull. We will be no different than a, a social club or a religious organization. And we would, we would be void of this manifest presence of the Spirit of God. So if you don't remember anything else I preach tonight, remember this important point that the Son of Man is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which are the churches. If he is not in the midst of the churches, we are helpless and we will fall. You know, as primitive Baptists, we don't have any activities to entertain. Everything we do is only of value if the Lord blesses us with his presence. Have you ever thought about that? There's nothing here that would attract the world. There's nothing here that would impress someone who is only interested in a social club when they attend church. No, we are nothing without the Lord but we are greatly blessed when he is in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Now this morning, we looked at these first two descriptions of the Son of Man. He's clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were as a flame of fire that's the three we looked at let's look at the next two and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace so how do we need to to look at that his feet were like fine brass Burned in a furnace. Well, from what I have read, uh, brass, when it is in the furnace, 
is a very bright substance, a very bright metal. And also, we know that when any metal is burned, the purpose of that is generally to purify. And notice this is Jesus' feet that are likened unto brass. Your feet are used to walk. So here I believe the picture we're being given is that the walk of Jesus should be our walk. Now, his walk was perfect. His feet are like that fine brass. Not only is his walk a perfect walk, but uh, as we've already said, this brass is a bright. His walk is noticed. And we're to pattern our lives after him. Notice a couple of verses that emphasize this point. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways. There's different ways you can travel. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and ye shall find what? Rest for your soul. There's a lot of ways you can travel. What is the good way? It's the way of the Lord. We'll see some other verses in a minute that make that very clear. His walk ought to be our walk. His walk is the perfect walk. We need to ask for the old paths. What are the old paths? The paths not of our grandfather, not the paths of our recent ancestors. Hopefully they were walking in truth. You remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, to follow me as I follow Christ. It's okay to follow the preacher as long as he's following Christ. So we're to stand in the way, see and ask for the old paths and walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. See, the general word used for living our lives is walking. You remember Isaiah said that we would mount up with wings as as eagles, we shall run and not be weary, and we'll walk and not faint. The normal, most common mode is walking. You know, sometimes I try to get in shape where I can run. Now, it's a very slow pace. But, you know, I can walk miles and miles. And I don't give out of breath. You know, we can walk a long way. You know, here's a side point. You know, Paul said bodily exercise profiteth little. That was written by a man that walked all over the Roman Empire. He walked miles and miles and miles. Jesus did the same. We would be overwhelmed if we had to walk the distances they walked. But the point is this, walking in a spiritual sense is referring to our normal mode of living. Not the unusual times not the exceptionally exciting times, 
Not the exceptionally low times, but just the normal life of the Christian. And so that's what's under consideration here when it says his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Notice how this is described in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. And then look at the same book, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That has to do with your walk, doesn't it? Your deeds are what you do. That's how you live, how you behave. That's your walk. Now, John's not saying don't ever love others in word or tongue. He's he's saying here's the emphasis. He says don't just love people in uh, word or in tongue, but make sure you're focusing on this in deed and in truth. We're to walk as Jesus walked. That would refer not only to his teachings as you read the Gospels, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, embraced in, I believe, Matthew chapter 5 through about chapter 7 or 8. There's so much information there about how to live, about how to avoid sins. That's what it means to walk in accordance to that perfect, pure walk that identified him. And then one more along this line. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. Notice this, he's speaking here of the Pharisees, I believe, and he refers to them as hypocrites. He says in verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, there are many professing Christians that will, as we sometimes say, will talk the talk, but not walk the walk. That's what we need to focus on. And here in particular, notice what the problem was. Notice how their own traditions led to them disobeying the word of God. Verse 4. Of Matthew 15. For God commanded saying. Honor thy father. And mother. And he that curseth father or mother. Let him die the death. Uh, The Lord was pretty serious about taking care of your parents. And to make a practical application of this. If your parents are no longer 
able to care for themselves. You may reach a point where it is necessary to put them in a nursing home, but they are still your responsibility. You see that? It's still your responsibility to oversee their care, to make sure that they are taken care of. That's not a convenient place to set them aside. Of course, we all need to pray if your parents become disabled. Lord, are we able to tend to them at home? What's best for them? And God knows your hearts. Remember this morning we talked about how God is a discerner both of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows our every motive. And if you're seeking to do what would please the Lord in the decisions you make, He'll bless that. But notice what happened here. God said, honor thy father and mother. And He says, he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honoreth not father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now what's he talking about there? The, the, the way to state that simply is they were being taught that if you use the money which you would otherwise take care of your parents with, but you use that money to give to the church, or in this case, probably give to them, then you're exempt from taking care of your parents. In other words, you're using it in a more important way. You're giving to the Lord's church. But notice what the result was of this. He said, you're uh, by your tradition, verse 6, he said, you've made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition." So he says, you're drawing nigh unto me with your mouth and honor me with your lips, but your heart, that is your intent, your motive to do what pleases the Lord is far from me. So when you read about this description in Revelation, when it says his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Remember that if perhaps among other things, that is making reference to the pure walk of Christ. You know, if you read about Jesus and His work in Hebrews 10, He's actually quoting from the Psalms And he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Wouldn't that be a wonderful attitude for us? I'm here. The purpose of my life is to do God's will. Now we know that Jesus had an explicit will. His will was to save his people. But God's will in our life is not some mystical thing that you need to pray that the Lord will bless you to have a dream so you can understand His will. No, God's will is the guidance in His Word. I like the comment Brother Chris has made several times. God's not particularly interested in what your career is. 
but he's interested in you, especially men, providing for and taking care of your family in an honorable way. That's God's will. God's will has to do not with the specific decisions that we might make about which house I'm going to buy, although it won't hurt you to pray about that. And that's what I try to do. But generally speaking, God's will has to do with how you treat your wife, how you raise your children, things regarding our behaviors at work, regardless of what our employment situation is. And then lastly, in verse 15, it says his voice was as the sound of many waters. Now, I don't believe that necessarily means that his voice was extremely loud. You know, the first thing I think about when I read about his voice being like many waters, I think about Niagara Falls. I've never been there, but I'm sure those waters have a loud voice. I don't believe he's necessarily focusing here on the volume of the voice of Jesus. I think he's focusing on the power, the authority, and how his voice gets attention. And there are scriptures that will bear that out. Look, first of all, in John, and we're going to read several verses here to get the context. John chapter 7, and beginning with uh, verse 37. That's not the one I wanted. It, let's go to... it. Mark chapter 1, that's where I meant to go. Mark chapter 1. And this will be just a couple of verses. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway, that is immediately on the Sabbath day, that was the day of worship, he entered into the synagogue and taught. So when Jesus came into Capernaum, immediately on the day of worship, he went to the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. You know, there are churches today that the entire service is pre-planned. And there's pre-written prayers. And there's scriptures that the congregation stands up and reads. Now, it's never a bad thing to be speaking and reading the Scripture. But the point I want you to get from that is when Jesus is in the midst of the churches, there's some power, there's some authority. And I'm going to show you in a moment how this connects 
and if I can use this word, trickles down to the ministry. Because if Jesus is in the midst of the churches, and if he's calling men to preach his word, he's going to bless them to have characteristics that the Bible describes him as having in his ministry. And in this case, they were astonished at his doctrine. What was it that got their attention? He taught them as one that had authority. You know, the more a minister is blessed of the Spirit to preach, the more his preaching has authority. You know, even when the minister himself feels a great influence of the Spirit, he feels like he's in authority. And what I mean by that, he feels like the Lord is really impressing his word upon his mind and showing him what he's to bring to the people. And if the Spirit begins to bring verses to his mind that he didn't think about in advance, he speaks with even a feeling of authority. And I want you to notice how this is specifically described in the Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. And again, don't forget that the church is the church only when Jesus is in our midst, in the person of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 2.4 Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Now from a secular standpoint, or even as far as the religious world was concerned, Paul could have bragged about himself. As a matter of fact, in one place, he in, uh, we might say in a joking way, he said, okay, y'all think y'all can brag about how well accomplished you are? I'm more accomplished than any of you. Now, we know he wasn't prideful or bragging. He was just making a point. And he went on to describe all of his heritage and where he grew up and what he was taught and who taught him said I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees concerning the law blameless I I did all the things that I should do and I was I was at the forefront in the religious world but yet he said my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now you'll have to look this verse up. But you know, one of the things they said about Paul, the man who wrote over half of the New Testament, you know, we don't have any recordings of Paul. We don't have a cassette or a CD. We've never heard the voice of Paul. You know what they said about him? They said his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible, but his letters are weighty and powerful. You see that? He was not impressive, even though he was even though he was impressive in terms of his training and upbringing and, and, and the things he was taught in the religious world, yet as far as his 
uh, speaking skills, as far as the eloquence of his speaking was concerned, he, they, they said of him that his bodily presence is weak, he's not impressive to look at when he's speaking, and his speech is not really that impressive either. But his letters are weighty and powerful. So what was it about his preaching that was so effective? He says it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Notice he makes a similar point with some different words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. I would much rather hear an uneducated man preach the gospel in power And he's so blessed to the Spirit that even though I feel afflicted, I I sort of felt this way at Bethlehem yesterday in the song service. I felt, had such an awareness of my sins. And they would sing hymns that describe that struggle and I couldn't even sing anymore. You know what that is? That's that's that, that paradox of feeling afflicted and yet rejoicing in the Lord at the same time. Paul says, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Years ago when I lived in southwest Georgia, there was a church there whose pastor had an eighth grade education. One of the deacons in the church was the dean of the department of botany at Valdosta State College. Now how in the world could that man be taught by that preacher? The kingdom of God is not like the world. The kingdom of God is the Lord blessing men. You know, Paul even said, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty. God has set up His church in such a way that people can't figure it out. (laughs) See, we can't set up a, a, a place to send men, to train them to preach. That's not the way it works. God calls men from all kinds of walks of life and He gifts them and He blesses them to preach His Word. One of the most well-known preachers in the early 1900s was a man named Elder Lee Hanks. Matter of fact, I believe he published the first edition of the old school hymnal. His parents died when he was a boy and he became just an orphan beggar on the street. 
no education. But eventually, as things went on, he was able to educate himself. And he became one of, a, a powerful minister based on what I've read. He was well known. See, the Lord qualifies men himself. That doesn't mean we're just passive and we don't read the Bible. But it does mean that no matter how much I read the Bible, if God doesn't bless my efforts, my ministry won't be profitable. So he says, our gospel didn't come in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost, and listen to this, and in much assurance. You know, it's, it's so encouraging to me among our people that I can hear preachers from all walks of life, some highly educated as far as the secular world is concerned, some with very little education, some with impressive careers, some that are, some that are high up and well known in the community, and others that are unnoticed as far as their secular job is concerned. And yet you can sit under their preaching and none of that is even considered, is it? I'm so glad it's that way because I'm one of the most, un, as far as secular education, I'm one of the most uneducated elders among us in this area. I'm so glad I don't think about that. I'm so glad I'm not thinking, well, I got, I got to figure out something that I can teach these men that are more educated than me. It's not that way, is it? And so notice here, he says, it came in much assurance. In other words, when the gospel and the truth is preached and the Lord blesses the man, there's a sense of assurance. It bears witness with our heart. And then let's look at one more part of this. Verse 16 of Revelation 1. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now, we'll not speak on that, but we looked at a reference verse this morning that refers to that two-edged sword, and I'll just give you the location of it in Scripture, and you can read about that two-edged sword that can that can uh, separate the soul from the spirit. And in reference to Jesus, who is the word, who's like a two-edged sword, it says he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You can read about that in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 uh, through 13. I would encourage you to read that tonight. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 through 13. That, that lets you know how nothing is hid from Jesus. All things are naked and open with, whom, with Him whom we have to do. So back here in Revelation verse 16. He had in His right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth 
in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. You know, today people want to write books and have seminars when they see a vision. That ain't how they responded in the Bible. John had this vision and he said, I fell at his feet as dead. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, saw the Lord high and lifted up, you know what he did? He, he fell down and said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. If somebody sees the Lord in that sense, they're not all built up in confidence saying, I want to go around and tell people about my vision. They're usually humbled and brought down. But notice here, Jesus, described as the man of sorrow or the son of man, has seven stars in his right hand. Now we'll see these stars are the Angels of the seven churches, which I believe are the messengers, or in particular, the ministry, the pastor of the churches. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now think about that. He's got these seven stars in his right hand. That means I can't preach without Jesus. He's got to hold me up. His countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. That speaks of the glory of Christ. His power, his sovereignty, his purity, his glory. That's what John saw. Now remember, this man, Jesus, the Son of Man, is dwelling in the midst of the churches. We don't see him with a natural eye, but this is written to let us know who meets among us and how much we need him. And even the men that he is called to preach, he's in their hand. He says in verse uh, 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. That is, he was crucified as far as his natural body was concerned. He died. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. I think I'll stop there tonight and not go into the meaning of the keys of hell and of death because I don't want to rush through that. But you know, he says here, three, I believe three times so far in this chapter, he says that he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What is your life apart from Jesus? Read Ecclesiastes and you'll find out. Ecclesiastes talks about a man 
who had the ability, who had the resources to enjoy the best of everything this world has to offer. As we might say, wine and women and everything else. He could have all of it he wanted. And he said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. See, Ecclesiastes is about life under the sun. It's about the horizontal. It doesn't consider the real relationship or connection between earth and heaven. If this is all there is, we're of all men most miserable. We need to remember Jesus is the first and the last. He's everything. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or email me directly at jchrismacoo at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.